just tuned in to join the Word with beloved Bible teacher and author Pam Jenkins. And we're so honored that you would join us in the opening of God's Word. Today is going to be a marvelous day in the Word of God as Pam opens up the very pages that give us life and give us purpose. So let's join Pam now as she reveals the truth of the day. Sometimes we just need reminders with promise. And as we open up Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 19, and this chapter is just slap full of rich, deep truths. Not that the others aren't, but one of the first scriptures as a saved uh, woman that was given to me, and I hadn't been a, a Christian very long. I was right at 18 years old, and it was my husband. He wasn't my husband at the time, but he gave me a card for my high school graduation. And in it, he had written Proverbs 3, uh, 5, and 6. And so that was really the first scripture that kind of came to me, that was given to me personally, that really talked about the relationship of God that we have with Him. There are many who believe in God, but don't know the relationship that we have as a result of that faith. Well, when we open up Proverbs chapter 3, the first verse, the whole text, the whole chapter begins with these words, Son, do not forget my teaching. Do not forget my teaching. And it goes on to say, But let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace. They will add to you. So it starts off with this charge, don't forget. And it goes through these things, not to forget that this is relationship. This is your relationship. If you believe in Christ, if you have uh, identified and recognized and surrendered to that you belong to God, that you don't belong to yourself, and you've surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, he goes on to write, this is what that life looks like. This is what that relationship in action, this is what faith lived out looks like. And it's beautiful and it's powerful and it is so practical. I mean, it is so practical. I want to give you some K's today during our time together. And by the way, thanks for listening and joining in on our podcast today. I hope that you'll join us in the future. But I want to give you some K's. I want to give you um, some K's, some points, uh, five K's today together that we see in this everyday life of Christian living, what it looks like. The first thing that we see right off the bat is one who keeps, a keeper, in other words, a keeper. And you say, a keeper of what? A keeper of God's Word, of the commands of God found in His Word, His instructions, His precepts. The word keep here that is used in the text when it says, Son, don't forget my teaching, but let your heart, listen, let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. The word keep here means to watch, to guard, to preserve, to keep one uh, close to, to one's heart, to be a watchman over. So if we inserted this meaning into the text, when it says, do not let your, but let your heart keep my commandments, Let your heart watch. Let your heart guard my word, my commandments. Let your heart preserve them. Keep them close to your heart. Be a watchman over my commandments. Be a watchman for your own life, for your own way of living. I never cease to be astounded at the people that come through my office day in and day out who profess to be Christians but have no idea what the Christian lifestyle looks like. It's not a bunch of do's and don'ts. 
It's a relationship. They've never been taught, and they have no idea, uh, a vast number that I see, what a relationship with Christ really is like, a relationship with God. What is that like? Well, the in Proverbs right here, the wisdom that is said that it starts with is don't forget my teaching. Don't forget the Word of God. Let your heart keep them. Be a keeper of my word. Be a keeper of God's word. Jesus said in John 14, 15, and 21, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If someone says they love Jesus and they're out of a line deliberately with the word of God, they don't love Jesus. This is Jesus's words. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. In verse 21, in this same chapter, says, He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him or her and will disclose myself to them. I'll disclose. In other words, I'll let them come to know me. I'll reveal my will, my way, my plan. You see, he says, He who doesn't love me, if you don't love me, then you're not going to keep my word. But if you... If you do love me, if you do love me, then you're going to keep my word. If we drop down down to verse 24, it says, He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. You see, we don't love the Lord by keeping his word. We keep his word because we love him. Because we love him. If if we kept his word... Um, in order to love the Lord, then that would be conditional. But we love the Lord. We keep his word because we do love him. It's an outflowing of our love for him. Keeping the word of God, his commandments, is a result of our love for him. In fact, Jesus said, what's the greatest commandment? He was asked, and he says that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, and with all your soul. And Jesus laid out what that love looks like for us, keeping his word. If you love him, which is the greatest commandment, to love God with everything within you, with all areas of your life, to love him in your thought life, to love him in your physical life, to love him in your emotional life, to love him in your spiritual life, to love him in your job, when you're, when you're doing your job, the worker that you are, to love him in the way that you serve, to love him in your, in your marriage, in your role as a parent or grandparent. It's to love God in every area of your life. I love what John Stott wrote. And he's authored some books, Why Am I a Christian and the Cross of Christ and and many others. But he says this, and it's a powerful, it's a powerful nugget of truth. He said, we must allow the word of God to confront us, to confront us, to disturb our security to undermine our complacency, and to overthrow our patterns of thought and behavior. Now, how to the point is that? I mean, that's like in the marrow kind of good, isn't it? Let me read it one more time. We must allow the Word of God to confront us. And God's Word is confrontational. You can't get around that. To disturb our security. What are you secure in? What are you basing your security in? To undermine our complacency, areas that we're complacent. To overthrow our patterns of thought and behavior. Because we know the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, right? The author of Hebrews writes that for us. Deuteronomy 26, 17, and 18 says, You've today declared the Lord to be your God. 
and that you would walk in his ways and keep his statutes, his commandments and his ordinance and listen to his voice. So the Lord has today declared you to be his people, a treasured possession. It's a two-way. You've agreed to be his people, and now he has declared that you are his people, a treasured possession as he promised you, and that you should keep all his commandments. What does the Christian life look like? In action, everyday living. It's one who keeps the word of God. They keep the word of God. That's relationship. That's faith in action. The promise, and I love all of these reminders that are given to us right here in these verses of Proverbs, these first 19 verses, it is all, they're all attached to a promise. And the promise here is, it says, keep my commandments. It says, for length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. It's the life added to you that the word of God, keeping the word of God is going to bring to you. My granny used to say this all the time. And listen, I know that some lives are shortened and we don't understand. And there are those, those um, situations like that and people who have kept God's word. But this is a promise that I believe in. And it's repeated throughout God's word that he blesses us with longevity if we're in his will and we are in his word. And my little granny who lived to be 94, my papa even older than that, she believed in this, and they lived righteous lives. They aligned themselves with God's word, and they clung to his promises. I mean, they were who you saw them publicly. That's who they were privately in the walls of their home. So the first thing is keeping a keeper, one who keeps God's word. The second K that we see is kindness, kind, one who is kind. Not only one who keeps, but one who is kind. Because the next two verses, three and four, says, Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them, he says, on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor. Here's the promise. Favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Not only in the sight of God, but it's going to benefit you in relationship to others. I believe the most beautiful adornment that one can have, one that one can clothe themselves with, is kindness. But not just any kindness, kindness without the sacrifice of truth. Because we can't sacrifice the confrontation of God's word just because we want to be kind. But kindness here is a godly kindness. This kindness speaks of, it means to extend mercy, to exercise goodness, to show goodwill toward others. I don't know about you, but have you ever been maybe having not such a good day or maybe even sad a little bit or in deep thought over something concerning and then out of the blue, a stranger, you could be in a store, a doctor's office or wherever, and just that simple smile or act of kindness just really kind of jolts you into the reality of, you know what, I have a lot to be grateful for. It just, kindness is a, is a, a sweet anointing to the soul of joy. Kindness um, lifts the spirits. No act of kindness, this quote, I love it, no act of kindness is ever wasted. You see, no act of kindness is ever wasted because kindness shows people that they matter, that they matter, that you're treating another with honor, 
the honor that we're all made in the image of Christ, in the image of God. Kindness doesn't mean surrendering truth. You see, it never surrenders truth in order to be kind. We can do both. If we were to flip over to the the Proverbs 31 woman, and a lot of Christian women, you know, we stay clear of her because she seems so out of reach. But it says of her that the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. You know, it, it's hard when we lose our, our patience as parents, and not, not just with each other, but when our children were younger. And I can remember um, an older woman early on when, when Stephanie, my, my oldest, was a baby. Just the importance that she said, you know, always speak with kindness to your children. No matter what they've done, you don't have to surrender kindness just because they've been bad. You know, they've, they've done something naughty. Because we, we forget that just because we're parents, she said, that doesn't mean that we still are not kind to our children. And how much more so to even other people. Kindness is a powerful tool in the lives of people. Hosea 4.1 says, Listen to the word of the Lord, O sons of Israel. For the Lord has a case against the inhabitants of the land because there's no faithfulness and there's no kindness, he said. There's no faithfulness or kindness or knowledge of God in the land. Micah 6, 8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. You see, when we're unkind, we are not keeping the word of God. That first to be a keeper. We have just thrown that keeping out the window when we surrender kindness. Zechariah 7, 9, thus thus has the Lord of hosts said, dispense true justice and practice kindness and compassion each to his brother. Kindness just means to exercise that goodness, to extend mercy. And if God has been merciful to us, shouldn't we be merciful, kind, in other words, to other people, to show good to other people? Do you know kindness is a gift to give that costs us nothing? It doesn't, we don't have to sacrifice anything to be kind. We don't have to pay anything to be kind. We don't have to um, do without to be kind. It doesn't cost us anything to be kind. But yet, it gives the most greatest gift in the life of others. And it comes with this powerful promise that we will find favor and good repute. In other words, we'll have a good reputation in the sight of God, good standing with Him and with others and with people. You know, I would love to be known by others if my name came up. You know, she's such a kind woman. Or he's such a kind man. Wouldn't you like that to be said about you? I've always known them to be kind. To be kind. I remember my little granny saying that about one of her neighbors. I said, Granny, what kind of neighbor was she? Um, This neighbor had passed away, tragically so. Just a few doors up, it was a a violent act of a home invasion. And uh, she, anyway, it was a terrible story, a terrible situation. But so Granny was talking about her on her porch, and I asked her one day, what kind of neighbor was she? And she said, I always remember her kindness. She was kind. Wouldn't you want to be remembered, to be known as a kind person? Kind people are approachable. Kind people 
um, don't have to work to get an audience when they have something of importance to say. If you've been kind to somebody, they're going to be responsive back, more open to hear what you have to say when you do want to talk about the Lord, when you do want to share about the goodness of God. So it's not only a keeping, one who keeps and one who is kind, but one who is keen. One who is keen. Because the next two verses, that verses 5 and 6, the first scripture ever given to me, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all ways, acknowledge Him. And here's the promise. He will make your path straight. Have you ever wondered, God, I don't know your will. I don't know the direction to take. He gives us this if you'll trust in God and don't lean into your own understanding. Don't make your own plans. But in all of your ways, acknowledge Him and then He'll give direction. Then he'll give direction. This is a person who is keen. Although this word is not found in this text, the understanding of being keen is by trusting in the Lord and not in our own understanding. Being keen in that this word, if we were to look at the basic meaning of the word keen in the Webster Dictionary, it means to be discerning, to be sensitive, clear, or observant, to be perceptive, So be perceptive with the Lord and His leading. Be in tune with Him. Be a person, a man or a woman, who is keen on the things of God. Let me step back for a minute and let me really soak in this decision and soak in this maybe fork in the road or something, a direction that I have to know to take or maybe I've been asked to be a part of something, a decision that has to be made and God, I simply don't know what to do. So this is when you need to be have discernment. You need to be acute. You need to be observant by asking God the right questions, by giving Him time, acknowledging Him in it, and knowing that if I do that and I don't lean into my own understanding, because sometimes things will make sense to us in the humanistic realm, in our human reasoning, and we're leaning in our own understanding. Where God's Word here in verses 5 and 6, don't do that, He said. Acknowledge God. Turn to Him. Turn to Him. Trust Him with your whole heart, with every situation, and in everything acknowledge Him. Well, God, what do you think about this? What is your direction? How will this glorify you? Will this draw me closer to you? Will this enlarge your kingdom? It's those kinds of questions that means that we're keen. And the wonderful promise here is He will make your paths straight. We won't have to worry which direction. He's going to make it as straight as he can be. There won't be any detours, in other words. I have not followed this advice in 5 and 6, verses 5 and 6, by God. And many times, and it hasn't been a straight path. It's been a detour, and it's been a long roundabout to get where God wanted me to go. Because I took the long route. Have you ever taken the long route? Because you didn't take time to be keen to seek what the will or the heart of God was in a situation. Well, I have. And God said the beautiful promise here in this is that if you will not turn to your own understanding, because what makes sense in our economy doesn't make sense, um, you know, in God's, in that human reasoning, because we can't put God in a box. We can't 
um, foresay what he's going to do or how he's going to do it or when he's going to do it. He doesn't operate on our time and our time frame, on our scale. He doesn't operate in the realm of human reasoning and understanding. What makes sense to us won't make sense. His ways won't make sense. God says, my ways are not your ways. They're higher. Your ways are higher, God says. My ways are higher, God says, than your ways. And they're not going to make sense in our own reasoning and thinking. So if we'll be keen to not follow our own reasoning and our own what makes sense to us, and we'll lean and acknowledge, lean on God and acknowledge Him, He said, I'm going to give you the direction that your heart so desperately needs. I think some of the, most of the time anyway, the challenge is us waiting on God. God, let me wait on you because God's not going to be in a hurry. If you, if you sense being in a hurry to make a decision on something, then that's probably not of God. God doesn't get in a hurry. It's waiting on him, resting in knowing he's working, and he's going to make it clear as day to you when the time is absolutely perfect. Because God's plan really is perfect, including the timing of it. And so I love this K right here to be keen. And then the fourth thing he says is kneel, one who kneels, one who kneels. And you say, God, uh, Pam, what does God mean by that? Verses seven and eight, do not be wise, he says, in your own eyes, fear the Lord, turn away from evil. Not only fear the Lord, but turn away from all evil. And then this is the powerful truth here. And I love this promise that is attached to this. It says, it will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Well, what kind of fear is he talking about? It means this, this fear of the Lord. It means one who kneels before the Lord in submission and in reverence. You know, it's like having a healthy uh, respectful fear of your parents when you're growing up, to have a reverential fear, a healthy fear, uh, respectful fear of authority, of, of those who are in authority over us. And this is the kind of fear of the Lord that he's talking about, one who kneels before the authority of the Lord. Listen, it's not just his commandments by keeping his commandments, but it's kneeling to his authority, in other words, if I'm confronted with a situation, I'm given an invitation to go and be a part of something that's not godly. Who am I kneeling before? There are things that I have to say no to. I've had to say no to since I became a Christian. I can't go to those places anymore. I can't watch that anymore. I can't read that. I can't partake of that conversation. I can't be brought into that because I've knelt before God. And every single day that I get up, I kneel before him as his servant. So if it's not pleasing to my master, if I don't have his permission, then I'm not going to do it. This is what kneeling means here, kneeling before the Lord in a reverential fear. That's what this word fear means. Most of the time when we find it in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel 12, 24 tells us only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart for consider what great things he has done for you. Why would we turn and go our own way and forget that we gave our life to the Lord, that our life is not our own because we belong to Him, 
that we kneel before him every day of our life, but in every situation. There's sometimes that I want to give a fleshly response in anger or in hurt, rejection, or when someone's told a lie, when when reputations are being destroyed, when you're being mistreated for no reason or judged uh, for, for no reason or a, a lie that somebody has believed about you. Has that ever happened to you? It has happened to me. I still will suffer consequences from lies told a long time ago when I'm uh, when when I encounter people that don't even know me because they've heard things that that they've chose to embrace and chose to believe and I I know that I can't become my own defense because God never gave me that role he's my defense and it's surrendering to God in all things kneeling before him even when it concerns your reputation, even when it concerns um, rejection or abuse to, to go out and, and, and to defend yourself or to get vengeance or to take action. There are times that I choose I can't respond the way that I'd like to, my flesh would like to. You know, I'm, I've thought many times, well, I got some choice words for you. But I then I remember God's quick, the Holy Spirit's quick to remind me, but your life is not your own. And if your life is not your own, then your words are not your own. You can't just decide to say what you want to say and just tell the Lord, hey, Jesus, you wait right here. I'll be back in a minute. I'm going to go deal with so-and-so. The Christian life doesn't work that way, does it? Sometimes, oh, I wish it would. My flesh wants it to. But I've got to remember that I'm a kneeling woman. I'm a kneeling life. I have given, I have surrendered the authority and the will of my life to his will and I can't go out and be my own vigilante. Psalm 33, 8. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Psalm 115, 13. It says, he will bless those who fear the Lord. The small together with the great. And what is this promise that he gives? When we kneel before him in all things, even in hurts, in rejection, even in abuse. Listen, have you ever suffered? There are many people that have suffered spiritual abuse at the hands of spiritual leaders and people in the church. Listen, I understand that. I've been through that. But do you know the promise here when we kneel before him? It will be healing, he said, when you do this to your body. It will be healing. Listen, and this is talking about a physical healing. And it will be refreshment to your bones. Do you know what he's talking about, bones there? to your spirit, to your soul, to those emotions, to those emotional or spiritual wounds, not just the physical things that maybe you've suffered in your body. But he says it's going to be healing in your life on many levels when you will choose to kneel before God. Do you know when we act on our own, I believe we're kneeling before man when we do that. You say, Pam, how so? Because we're letting the action of others dictate our actions rather than God. And we can't do that if we've knelt before him and surrendered our life to him. Listen, I know that's hard truth, but it's truth. And I don't want us to forego the promise that's attached to this kneeling. That promise of healing to our body and refreshment to our bones. What a powerful promise. In our last K, number five is one who is kept. One who is kept. And you say, Pam, well, what's, what's the difference between keeping God's word and one who is kept? Well, this is past tense. And let me read verses 9 and 10. 
Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Do you know what he's uh, you know what he's saying? Understanding this sacred portion of these verses, I believe that that Deuteronomy 26:13 helps shed some light on what is being told to us in this wisdom in Proverbs chapter 3. Deuteronomy 26:13 says, "You shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the sacred portion from my house and also have given it to the Levite and to the alien, the orphan and the widow, according to all your commandments which you have commanded me. I've not transgressed or forgotten any of your promises." In other words, I'm not hoarding and and trying to become rich. I've got I've put away what is wise for the future for the famines that might come, for the times when I will need it. But I have not removed the sacred portion, in other words, what belongs to God. I have given God his portion of what out of what he has given me. I've not withheld it. And when we don't withheld that, when he says, when you honor me from your wealth and from the first, listen, not the last of your produce. Okay, God, I'll pay everything. And at the end of the month, then I'll decide if I can give to you. No, no. He said, give to me first. And if you'll honor me from your wealth, not just tithe, but from your wealth, if you will honor me with it, if you'll do this thing, then you won't have to worry. You're going to have vats that overflow. Your barns will be filled with plenty. He's speaking of the future. When you grow old, when you're in need, when the supply coming in maybe has stopped, you're going to be taken care of. But you got to honor me from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. There's two types of giving there, above and beyond the tithe, and that comes off the top first. And then it's with your wealth. Anytime God gives you great increase, he said, you honor me with it, not the things you want to give it to, the things that interest you, but honor me, he said, with that wealth. I love this quote, and I want to close our time together from our case. One who keeps, keeps the promises of God. One who is kind And we know that the power of kindness, you just can't put an amount on the power that kindness brings in the lives of other people. One who is keen, that keenness of not leaning onto our own understanding, but on God's. One who kneels, kneels before the authority of God in reverential fear, knowing that our life is not our own. We have to obey Him in all things. And then last, one who is kept. One who is kept, you will be taken care of. You will not be forsaken by God. This is that great promise attached to verses 9 and 10. And to close our time, A.W. Tozier wrote this, True religion, or true faith, we could say, true religion confronts earth with heaven. True religion confronts earth with heaven. This is the Christian life in action. It's a living faith. It's the relationship that we have with our Heavenly Father, with the Lord Jesus Christ, and with the Holy Spirit. 
that your faith, the way that you live, it's not just something you believe, but it's what you do. It's what you say. It's how you respond. It's where you invest your your money, what you do with all of your blessings, with every situation. It's It's the reality of the Christian faith. You know, we live in a culture today that is just starving. They are languishing for the reality of Jesus, the realness of God. Listen, true faith, that genuine, true faith, this is what our culture is dying to see and desperately needs to see. Will they see it in your life in this next new year? How I pray so. You've been listening to Join the Word with beloved Bible teacher and author Pam Jenkins. Here at JBOP Ministries, we're so honored that you would join us for the reading of God's Word. We pray that today's message has been an encouragement to your soul. Join us next time for Join the Word with Pam Jenkins. God bless y'all.